Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. This evening, um, I'm speaking on the Big Word series, and we're going we're gonna to speak on the word incarnation, um, which is not a milk that you buy. It's not in a tin. And, uh, <laughs> and um, to the, the word incarnate, which doesn't actually appear in the Bible, but is, it is description of what Jesus um, did when he came as a man. And, uh, but I, I want to start by speaking about something that happened in the 17th century. Can we do a little bit of history? Is that all right? We do a bit of history. Something that happened in the 17th century. In the 17th century, the, there was a, a philosophy started to come around. People started thinking and talking about God creating the earth and then walking off and going off on holiday. Like, God created the world. It's called deism. And the, 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 the idea is that God created the world, but he doesn't speak to man. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything. There's no revelation of God. There's no truth. There's no plan. There's no purpose. He just created it. We don't know why he created it. Maybe he was bored and said, what shall I do today? Or for the next seven days, perhaps. And then, and then he, just, he just created it and then he nicked off. And he doesn't want anything to do with us. And so this, this concept of deism, which is the idea that, that there is a God. He did create the world, but... The rest of it's just up to you. And then what happened with that kind of thought, that line of thinking, which that line of thinking started, it challenged the, the European society, which was governed by very powerful religious organizations and, and very um, dictatorship-like monarchies. And people's lives were quite oppressed and, and they were quite controlled. And so now you've got this this alternative philosophy that, well, if it's up to me, then God didn't ordain that fella there to be my boss, so I don't have to do what he tells me to do. So it started to change the way society thinks, thought. And then what happened is something began to take place called the Enlightenment. I don't know how many of you have heard of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was, was basically this line of thinking that just went, we don't have to listen to kind of religious thought, we can work it out for ourselves. And, and that gave way to things like scientific reason and reasonable thought and the idea that you can work stuff out and that countries can be run by a democratic kind of process where everyone's involved. It, it sounded really good. And, and to be honest with you, you know what? Here's the thing. When, when men start, when people start to think, not everything they come up with is bad. Even if they deny God, not everything they come up with is bad. Because what happens is that is they come up, they come up, there's, there's quite a lot of good stuff. You read about the Enlightenment, you go, oh yeah, that's pretty good. I like the sound of that. It sounds like they've decided to stop being pushed around and told what to do and manipulated and controlled by religious authorities or by monarchies or dictatorships or, or, or some wealthy person that governs the land that they live on and and those kind of things and people started to just kind of get a a feel for life for themselves but the enlightenment kind of tripped up on the french revolution because the french revolution turned up and it went 
we don't want this rubbish monarchy that's destroying our lives and, and making us hungry. So we, we're going to get rid of the monarchy and we're going to get a, a democracy. And, and what they ended up with is that they ended up sort of killing lots of people and people wander down the street and suddenly their head would fall off. And, and, uh, and they started clubbing and killing everyone and they ended up with this incredible, brutal regime where if you were if you were a monarchist you're going to die and if you didn't obey the new authority they 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 exchange one line of manipulation with another and what happened with the enlightenment same principle with deism the moment you come up with a great idea that denies the very physical presence of god upon the earth your life is already in trouble because Jesus came in the flesh. And understanding that for your life is one of the most important things of understanding your purpose and who you are and why you're here. It says in one in John chapter 1, not 1 John, John 1. <laughs> John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. I love that. Don't you love that? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. But as many, in verse 12, sorry, jumping a bit, because it got a bit distracted there. John went off and talked about himself for a while. And then he's back to verse 12. Verse 12, and it says, But as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now here's the amazing thing about What happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ? When you give your life to him, a miracle takes place that is is like the same miracle as what happens when someone is conceived. When, When you give your life to Jesus, it is a simple confession, a declaration, a prayer, a communicating with Jesus, and you are saved. But what then happens is a transformation of your whole life. When someone is conceived, it's, I mean, the conception process is quite simple, really. You don't need a drawing. You know, <laughs> you, we know how it works, right? But it's sorry, some cells come together, very, very basic string of DNA, and suddenly you've got skin, organs, bones, nervous system, brain, intelligent thought, memory, creativity. You've got a child that is growing into this from something so simple. A simple process creating an extraordinary being. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, a simple process creates an extraordinary process of results that start to work in your life. And like the creation of your self, physical self, When you give your life to Jesus, you become a new being. And what happens is that when we give our life to Jesus, we enter into the life 
that is of Jesus, his supernatural life. And so one of the things that we need to understand is, well, who was Jesus? If I need to understand me, I need to understand who Jesus is. If I need, I need to find my roots, as it were. I need to discover the, the, the family line into which I've been born. A lot of people are, are looking up the family, family tree these days, and you can download an app um, that will apparently tell you who your family is. I, I downloaded it once, but then it wanted all the information about my family. I'm going, I don't know who my family is. So you tell me. You told me you knew, and now you want the information. I don't know their names. But what I do know is that on my father's side, they were, je- they were cabinet makers, and they were, they were sort of working stock, and, and uh, they were all born again. It's a Christian family going way back to the, the days of the Puritans, and, and uh, the going to, back to, I don't know, I can't imagine anyone in, had a name up to was a Puritan, to be honest. But, <laughs> but I, you know, they went back to that kind of, that era, as far as we know. And, and they were all saved, and they were sort of hard-working people, and they, would, they, they worked on the, on the land, and they were killed by the land. And uh, one of my grandfathers had a tree fall on him. He put it up against the barn, and then it, and he walked away, and he said, <laughs> I just think it's the funniest thing. <laughs> you put it up, and <laughs> it was just one step away. Clunk, 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 clunk. <laughs> It was about that tall by the time he finished. Yeah. And that was what, I think it was like my great-great-grandfather. It was, could have been my great-great-great-grandfather because he, one of them was killed by trees, the, the, the um, horse and um, cart. Yeah, the cart snapped and all the trees that were on the cart fell on him. And uh, so th- there's a thing in family. We, we, we don't chop down trees anymore. We kind of... <laughs> Kind of realize, there's a theme going on here, and uh, so, so that's on my on my my fa- uh, my father's side. On my mother's side is the Hill family. Now the Hill family, if you know of Lord Hill, you've heard of Lord Hill. He's kind of you should do right. You should you should be into politics. And Lord Hill is, I think, he's one of the government for Europe. He kind of he's working trying to with the European Union, etc. And he worked, and Lord Hill, well. He would be a distant relative of ours. I mean, when I say distant, I mean so distant, he's probably a relative of yours as well. But, <laughs> but, but he's, a, he's, a, he's a distant relative of the Hill family, which is what our family, where on my mother's side that family came from. And, and the original Hill, a guy called Roland Hill, um, in the days of King Henry VIII, owned all of Shropshire and large other parts of the and Roland Hill was a uh, merchant of uh, fine fabrics and silks and these kind of things. And he was the equivalent of your modern-day billionaire. And he, used to, he was so wealthy, he used to lend money to King Henry VIII. And uh, so he sort of kept the monarchy going. I'm not sure whether we can appreciate that or not. But, and, uh, so, but he was also known as Pastor Hill. Not because he was in the ministry but because he was a godly man who never once, through any of his, um, the tenants of his property, he never once threw any of them out if they couldn't afford to pay, which is unheard of. Uh, and he, he would always, he would take them in. If they ever had trouble, they would come to his great manor house that Cheryl and I went to, and they would come to the manor house, and then he would just spend time 
and he would um, he would spend time with them personally to see that their lives were helped out. He'd do whatever he could to help them out. And that was that was the guy who started the family line from where my, my mother came from. And uh, he, he one of um, later um, uh, one of the latest sort of on the family line was a guy uh, who was General Hill, and he was a general serving under Wellington. And uh, he was also known as Daddy Hill. And because he's, he was such a fatherly figure to the army um, that he was, as a general, they used to call him Daddy, uh, which is extraordinary. And that's, that's my family line. And it's good to know, kind of, wow, that, that, that was, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to lay claim to some of that stuff, you know. I mean, um, the, it's just kind of like somewhere down there, many, many hundreds of years ago, many, many steps away from where we are now, here are men who walked with God. And, and when you, you know your roots, but here's the thing about your roots, whether you have godly people in your family or not. I mean, let's face it, most of us have got people in our family who are still sheep, haven't we? So, you know, <laughs> there's always, oh yeah, he was a bit of a sheep rustler. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, Whatever your family line was like, you have a new family line. You have a new inheritance because Jesus Christ was born of the flesh. You have to understand, you would have no inheritance unless Jesus came in the flesh. And the only reason why you can sit here and have faith in him is because Jesus Christ came as a man. And he came as a man. He, he didn't come as some kind of demigod, half god, half man, in some kind of sort of Greek mythology kind of weirdness. He laid aside the fullness of his deity, the fullness of his, his magnificence. He laid it aside and he became a man limited by time and space, constrained by um, the, the physical constraints of humanity. It says here, in John, um, in John chapter 4 and verse 6, six, it says, Now Jacob's well was there. This is Jesus on a journey, and he's been traveling. It says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now this is Jesus traveling away, and he's hungry, he's thirsty, and he's tired. Because he's human. You understand, Jesus carried the same physical emotional, mental limitations that all of us carry. We don't know how intelligent he was, what kind of IQ he would have had, what kind of physical strength. I reckon he was probably pretty fit. I reckon you had to be fit in those days. Otherwise, you would die because life would have been pretty hard. And so he he carried all of these constraints. He, He would get tired. He would get hungry. He would also get angry. He probably got hangry. He would get all of those things because he was a man. Because he was limited by the constraints of being a man. And so he was a man called as the Son of God to to live as the Son of Man, that he may attain for us a victory as a man. You see, when you think of Jesus, you think of the great Messiah who reigns in the high places, which he does, and you think of him in those things, achieving these things for us as God. But God 
did not directly achieve the victory as God. Jesus Christ achieved the victory as man. And it's important to understand because it was a victory that only man could achieve. If man didn't achieve it, it wouldn't count for anything. It's no good God coming and giving himself upon the cross because he's God. A man had to give down his life because man was in sin and a man who was perfect and righteous could give his life. And Jesus came as a man. When he walked upon the earth and he had all those miracles, he didn't have those miracles because he was the Son of God. He had those miracles because he was a man walking with God. He carried the same limitations as you and I, but he had a relationship with the Father. The only difference between Jesus and us is Jesus had no sin. But the physical constraint of humanity was still upon him. And so when Jesus is walking upon the earth, perfect in his, in his relationship with the Father, but a man nonetheless... He could do nothing but what he saw the Father doing because he had no other ability but to to know what needed to be done other than what the Father told him. Just as we discover who we are in God by speaking to the Father, we discover our identity. And so Jesus was a physical man. He was constrained, but he showed us a way in which we can unlock the pathway back to the Father and get close to Him again. And to understand who we are as children of the King, saved by His grace and His mercy. It says here in John chapter 14, I love this, John chapter 14 and verse 12, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he would do, because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, Jesus showed that as a man, it's possible to live with the Father and do powerful things. And Jesus says this amazing verse, which we often repeat. Jesus said this, he says, and you shall do greater things. Now, I've got a little problem with that statement. Not with Jesus, but with the way we've interpreted it. Right? Because if I look through church, and I've studied church history, and I, I've looked through the church, and, I, and there, there are some amazing individuals through the history of the world who've done great miracles, right? But I think you would struggle to find anyone that would compare as greater or having done greater, wouldn't you? In the history of the world, you would struggle to find anyone that could, you could actually say, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah that guy, he, he had way more miracles than Jesus. Wouldn't you? You would, you would see that. But we preach that verse as saying, well, Jesus said we could do greater things. And what was the great things that Jesus did? Well, Jesus went healing the sick and he raised the dead. So we're going to heal the sick and we're going to raise the dead and, and we're going to do greater things than that. 
But if you look through the last 2,000 years, so far, no one has achieved that. So if Jesus is talking about greater things, then it's got to be something greater than the miracles that we say are great. There's got to be something else that we're called to do that is greater than just praying for miracles. And, and, and you know what? I love miracles. I've seen miracles. But here's the thing. When Jesus says this verse, he's speaking to the apostles. He's speaking to the disciples. And he's speaking in such a manner that was general. It was for everyone. Now, people who minister in healing power are by nature unusual. There aren't many Reinhard Bonkies in the world. Are there? I mean, you know, it's like, I've seen a few miracles, but the, guy, the people who see the miracles all the time, they're like, what? they're so well known because they're so rare. But Jesus is talking to everyone. And here's the thing, with most of us, we tend to, most people will only experience or three miracles in a whole life. I mean, those like those unusual, like miraculous signs. I mean, we God, you see God's hand moving on many times, but like you know, a physical like seeing this. Um, I saw this lad's wound disappear in front of my eyes. I tell the story. I've been telling that story for nearly thirty years because I've never seen it since. <laughs> it was a one-time event. It can't be, that event can't be defined as something to be measured as greater things. Otherwise, I would be doing that every day. And we all would be doing it every day. And here's the other problem you have if you attain that verse to to Scripture. What about the 5,000 people that Jesus fed? I mean, they witnessed a miracle that was quite extraordinary. They had this amazing miracle, 5,000 of them. It didn't take them long before they were trying to kill him. I've prayed for people to be healed. And they've gone, oh, that was cool. You never see them again. So, <laughs> yeah, people have been touched. Oh, wow, that was amazing. Thank you very much. I just carry on with my own life now. So we, we understand that if greater things is about just healing people, I think we've got a problem. Because just healing people isn't enough. It is fantastic. It is incredible. It is one of the most wonderful gifts of grace that that God does in our lives when we see a miracle. But miracles are not what build, not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about his life, his ministry, what he came to do. And you know what? Let's face it. When Jesus walked uh, through Israel, he didn't heal most of them. He, He healed a few. And sometimes it was said, and he healed them all. That's quite rare in itself. Most times he'd walk through a crowd of sick people and he'd pick that one, that one, and that one and heal them and he'd leave the rest. I don't know why. I mean, it's like, but here's the amazing thing. When Jesus said, you shall do greater things, he began to describe a life where our identity is formed in him and we are manifesting the life of Christ through us which is more than this demonstration of power. It's a demonstration of love. It's a demonstration of grace. Look at this in 2 Corinthians verse 8 and 
2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now what's he talking about? Talking about physical wealth? No. Jesus actually was probably quite wealthy. His ministry was well financed. Alright? What's he talking about? Jesus is basically saying, let me let me give you another way of reading it. Though he was supernatural, yet for your sake he became natural. That through his obedience and his limitation, that we might become supernatural. Let me give you another shortened version. He became us so that we might become him. He became us so that we might become him. He gave his life. He became like you and I to open up the doorway to say, this is how you become like me. This is how you reflect who I am. God made man in his image. We were always destined to carry the image of God, to live in the image of who he is. We were ordained to carry the DNA of God. So when Jesus came, he said, you shall do greater things. Well, what are the greater things? The greater things are the things that Jesus couldn't do. Jesus was ordained to preach the gospel to Israel. And there were one or two Gentiles that managed to sneak in and get a bit of blessing. But they were the the few, weren't they? When Jesus preached the gospel to Israel, he he went around and, and one or two Gentiles got it, but Jesus only could preach the gospel. But we have the unlimited whole world given to us that we might share and express the love of Jesus Christ to every person on every country, in every continent across the globe. There is no limit to what we can do because Jesus said, I am going to the Father. And when I go, I will send a helper to go forth with you. So in other words, when Jesus became us, he lived the life that we were called to live. He won the victory over sin and death. He ascended to be with the Father. And in ascending to be with the Father, he won the victory that man couldn't win. And in winning that victory, he opened up the pathway that all men can enter into new life. And that new life is manifest in us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that changes you. The Holy Spirit that gives you the power of God to love on the loveless. To to carry those who have no hope. To pray with those who have no understanding or direction. For those who are broken. To heal their hearts, their minds, their bodies. To spend time healing a broken world that is trying to live a life without God. Because the world is broken because it's just gone. You know what? I think there is a God or there might not be a God. But either way, I'm not going to acknowledge God. And the love of God says, I have equipped my church to prove my love by sending you out in my name, in my love, in my grace, in my power. Like me, you shall do greater things. 
because I couldn't do what you're doing today. I could only do what I was called to do, which was send the life into those disciples, and out from there, the church just spread across the globe. And so God is equipping us with his presence. We have to understand that Jesus came as incarnate. Incarnate literally means a spiritual being manifest as a natural. It literally means that the... um, that the supernatural life is manifest in the material world. And Jesus came as the Word of God, and he manifested himself as a physical man. We've got to understand, when Jesus won the victory on the cross, he did it as a man, not as God. One of the things that we, uh, one of the things that I like to do is I like to listen to Desert Island Discs on Radio and uh, I was telling this to the church in Inverness, and one of the guys came up to me afterwards. He says, so you listen to Desert Island Disc on Sundays? Went, Do I? He says, well, it's on Sundays. <laughs> he was far more nerdy than me, right? And I go, well, do you know what? I didn't even know when it's on. I just listen to Radio 4 a lot, and sometimes it's on. He says, oh, then you must listen to it on Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I must. <laughs> <laughs> I was educated right there. And, and uh, so Desert Island Discs is, a, is this concept that has been going for decades, this program. And basically, they take amazing individual people, individuals and they bring them into the studio and they, have this, they create this imaginary. You have just been um, shipwrecked and you're on a desert island, right? So if you're on the desert island, what music would you like to define your life? And in choosing those musical tracks, they then ask them the story of their life. And so as they're asking the story of their life, they would get maybe five or six music tracks that would kind of help kind of carry the symphony of, of how their life lived. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, heartwarming, great interview of amazing people. And some of the people are so amazing, I'm sometimes kind of just left a little bit emotional, kind of wow, that person is amazing. I, I want you to know, people are amazing. And these, the, the, most of these people, they don't know God. They've got no concept of God or, or understanding. People are amazing. But what they lack is the knowledge that Jesus came in the flesh for them. And he is, his manifest life and presence and power comes to set people free. And here's the thing, when people ignore that one truth, everything else falls apart. Because you need Jesus Christ to bring it all together. Jesus, He is the Son of God. He is God, was God, was with God. Through Him all things were made that were made. He made all things. And He manifested Himself as a man. And lived his 33 years as a physical man, constrained in by the same constraints that live in you and I. That's why, one, we have no excuse. And two, we have a man, Jesus Christ, who sympathizes with our weakness, just like we sympathize with one another. We, we understand what we're all going through because we know what it's like to be constrained, to be limited, to be to be held back by the physical constraint, knowing that there is a greater power. 
Jesus knew there was a greater power, but he could do nothing but by the power of the Holy Spirit that worked through him. And this is Jesus Christ, changing our lives, healing our hearts, restoring all of us. And you know, it says here, let me just finish with this this final verse. In verse 18, he said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What he's saying to us is this. A lot of people struggle. In fact, I think just about everybody at some point struggles with this. I am alone. I've got no one to help me. I am isolated. I don't think I can do this. I'm not sure I can get through this. Jesus said this. I will not leave you orphans. He has not left alone. Because he came in the flesh, he can reveal himself in your flesh. Because he became us, we can become him. We are not alone. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.